Welcome back, friends and fellow philosophers, to this Wild Isle podcast. I have back with me my fiance, JJ. Say hello to everyone, JJ. All right, we are here today to talk, among other things, about the state of education. I think it'll be quite interesting. We both have, uh, I think at this point, very strong opinions uh, on that subject. But before we begin, I want to send you all over, as I always do, to my website, wildislelit.com, where you can check out my essays, like my analysis of the Barbie film. I think I've pitched that a million times. Uh, I've got stories and excerpts up as well. My whole novel, Want Smoke Broken, is up on audio on my website as well. Again, at wildislelit.com. Uh, check that out. Give the whole thing a listen. The whole book is up there free for your listening pleasure. And if you like it, go, or if you don't like it even, go ahead and give it a review. I know want to know what you guys think. And if you're an author and you're looking for an editor out there, particularly a line editor focused on style and theme, you could hire me at uh, the Wild Isle Style Guide. Again, at wildislelit.com. Do I have anything else to pitch? No, I don't think I do. So without further ado, let's get into it. So the state of education. Um, that's probably a good name for the for the episode, I think, because education as it is, is at least here in the United States of America, mostly handled by the state. Um, and I really think that that is a huge problem because it sets up uh, what I am going to, I, I'm not really guessing here because I've been in education, I've taught at university, um, in terms of just, let's say, dealing with large masses of kids. I've done like some types of childcare work in the past. Um, so I have some experience with this, but I think it sets up teachers um, of a wide variety with what I would call an impossible task that you know they, they cannot do it. It's not possible to successfully educate a group of 20, perhaps even a group of uh, 15 or 10 children, unless that group of children are already um, let's say, enculturated very well and somewhat educated by their parents, not by their teachers, but by their parents. So that's a huge, big opening, uh, well, opening preamble is redundant. It's a big preamble. JJ, what do you think of my assertion there? Is Do you think it's the case that teachers of a wide variety have a an impossible job before them trying to educate the youth? I <clears throat> I believe so because... I think um, as parents, no offense, but are less and less educated in parenting and they're giving their children screens, iPads, phones earlier and earlier, um, they are basically giving their kids to, you know, the internet to be raised instead of putting in effort themselves. They're doing the bare minimum of feeding them, but they're not having sleep routines for them. They're not um, giving them responsibilities. They are not um, teaching them any moral lessons because we know people are drifting away from religion. And that's okay. But when there's not even any moral framework at all and like not, no effort towards um, really teaching your children any morals, they are just going around learning to be manipulators, master manipulators of everybody around them, and entitled children who expect everybody to do everything for them and them 
to have to do nothing in return. Yeah, you definitely see that. Um, the entitlement, right? That's a word that likes to get thrown around quite a bit, um, particularly as, let's say, the political sphere catches up culturally, which it, it has to, you know, for good and ill, to be honest. So we've got these kids there. They're entitled. They um, don't have moral guidance. They haven't been given responsibilities. They haven't, uh, let's say, had their lives routinized as to be orderly. Uh, that that's something that we're we're saying that we're seeing here. Uh, if if I would, if I were to play a devil's advocate, I would say that in the past, um, you didn't really have necessarily any more educated parents, right? Because you started out by saying, well, their their parents are uneducated, and part of me thought, well, have we not always had the masses? Uh, have they not always been uneducated people? Um, you know, I guess that's a question I'll throw back to you. Like, you know, go back a couple hundred years. Surely education was um, less universal, uh, you know, particularly in the United States. We, we, we know that for certain. And so is it really education that is leading to the lack in all these other domains? Or is there perhaps something uh, more fundamental underneath that? More fundamental. You're right. That was a mistake on my part. Um, I don't think it's a lack of education. I think it's actually, um, again, an entitlement of the parents of believing that they know better than their parents, which they may know better in some regards. But um, I think a lot of people that are young parents now, um, they rightfully so see the wrongs of their parents, but they completely dismiss and don't understand what their parents did right. Um, so they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater and everything that um, their parents did. And um, they're trying to do everything they can. I know their intent is good. They're trying to give their kids the best life that they possibly can. Um, but then in doing that, their kids are just becoming entitled, spoiled brats. <laughs> It, it almost sounds to me that the, let's say, the youth of perhaps most days, right? Because this, this is an old, well, I don't want to call it a stereotype, that's not the right word, uh, but it's normal to say that the youth find their parents to be out of touch with the times, man. Like, you just, you're just an old foddy or, or what's the word, foggy? I, can't, I don't know the word. They're old, right? And they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And so, you know, they're not, uh, let's say... They have not progressed for, or far enough along the, uh, I don't know, arc of history. We want to be Hegelian about it, evil wizards. Um, but that, that's been around, that idea and that, that um, sentiment, that notion has been around for a long time. The question would be, why is it that, or even, see, I would assuming, has it accelerated or have we just become more aware of of that fact, right? Like, is it the case that, let's say, um, the youth today really have, in an, to an increasing degree, dismissed the wisdom of their parents and of their elders? Um, you know, is it is it the case that they have moved away from uh, knowledge and ways of being uh, of the past, uh, or is it that? because of the uh, acceleration in information technology, it's, is it one of those instances where we're seeing 
it um, in a much more in our face way because we are open to, you know, if we're here uh, in West Virginia, whatever's happening in California, we can find out that day, that second, because someone posted a video they took on their phone, which is always in their pocket and posted it to YouTube. And it took like, you know, 20 minutes. So is it, is it, you know, would we really say that there is in fact a greater deviation away from what I'll call wisdom of the past? Um, or is it merely a seeming of such? I think um, people are in this, um, parents right now are in this like somewhat thrown state because um, parents of definitely a lower income, they don't have as much time to spend the energy on researching correct parenting methods and now what is known to be um, healthy, that's debatable whether or not, you know, what they can research is correct or not, because whatever you are searching for, you're going to inevitably find somebody who agrees with you. Um, but I think um, people who don't have enough time to research a good way to parent, but also paired with them disagreeing with how they were raised, those people especially are just making all types of mistakes and not doing anything right um, because they don't have the time to research what to do, but they also are not even following the script of their parents. And because they do have the informational age at their fingertip, at their fingertips, um, their ability to look it up is there but again their energy isn't there if their income is super low and how much they're exerting themselves is super high um yeah okay there's a couple things there um though they, they they kind of conflict with each other but i think energy wise okay so what's the difference between how much people can how much time people can spend how much stress they can handle now versus the past so in the past you had a, a kind of greater division of labor, I would argue. So typically speaking, um, you might have one parent working full-time, one parent either working very part-time or perhaps not at all, staying home, raising the child uh, or children, I should say, because people tended to have more children in the past. And so in terms of energy, where nowadays most people work, um, if, even if they're both working part-time, it's something closer to a full-time job than it is you know, like a small few hours a week with part-time work where you're just making some extra pocket money. And if you're doing part-time and raising kids, it's like you have a full-time job. Yeah. Time, round the clock. Yeah, because just because someone's working part-time doesn't mean all the work for raising children is not also there. Yeah. Um, however, I, that kind of conflicts. That, so that makes perfect sense, right? So people nowadays, they do not have the time to invest in uh, essentially learning how they... Uh, need to raise their kids and perhaps they are they need to more if they have also abandoned the wisdom of the past right so if they are no longer following a tradition they need something to replace it um, the thing about tradition that makes it so useful is that you don't have to have a deep understanding you just have to repeat the actions that you saw done before once you've thrown that out okay, well, now you can take a different set of actions, but you have to decide of the infinite number of ways I'm going to approach my problems, 
Like, which ways do I choose? Because there's an infinite number of ways, and therefore I need to make a set of criteria by which to filter all these infinite number of ways. So there's a narrow constraint of choices that I can make that I can actually decide from. That all takes a lot of time. That all takes a lot of energy, a lot of decision-making power. A lot of responsibility. And that's where I think parents are relying on the school system now. Um, they're opting out of their responsibility to research what correctly to do and they throw their kids into well I teach pre-k um kindergarten and first grade they're throwing these kids un unreally parented um children into the school system hoping that the school system will teach their kids the correct way to be and they're not capable of doing that and they're past the point at the four-year-old stage of even being capable of a large degree of change they're already past that point and I think um parents are just avoiding their responsibility I think if the baseline interest is not there of the parent of wanting to develop themselves and be a good person and like um they're not they're just what would you call that like pushing off that responsibility onto others, onto the school system, those children, they can't really be saved after that four-year point, um, unfortunately. They're just, um, they're a stressor to everybody else. Yeah, little sociopaths, essentially. Uh, narcissists. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so a couple things, like, right? So yeah, when, when someone abandons their job, at those early stages before state intervention really comes in uh, and we really like no one i would hope actually i know people who do want this uh, but i would hope most people do not want let's say state intervention at the age of something like two or younger um, that's incredibly invasive and to be honest we've seen the lackluster job that um, let's say just foisting your kid off to the state does now um, i imagine that there would be more damage. The reason why I think there would be more damage is actually because of that bit of conflict I mentioned earlier, right? So we talked about people not having time because everyone's working. So they're essentially parenting less um, and then giving that off to the state so they can work more. But you had mentioned the fact that, you know, parents used to not have, uh, or lower income people might not have the time to then research um, all of this, but people of the past also didn't have um, access to this technology, right? They, they, they didn't have libraries of information. There was not as much research. And the thought occurred to me as you were describing that, and that thought was because they didn't have access to libraries of information, they had to rely on tradition. There wasn't another option for them. So the, the the very idea that you could be successful in some set of parenting strategies um, outside of the tradition didn't occur to most people. And so what that meant was that for most people, you have your kids while someone, it, the tradition is someone needs to stay home with these kids and to raise them um, while they're very young. And because that was the tradition, that's what they did. The idea that you would, let's say, unless you were of like the highest social strata and you had like uh, a couple like nannies or if you go back for far enough in time you have like 
essentially like a, a wet nurse that also kind of raised you as you got older. But even then, that's like one-on-one -on -one parenting. That's not yeah. like, that's way different than, Well, you know. yeah, they, they know in terms of like attachment styles, um, it actually does not matter um, if it's directly your mom. If you have a mothering figure um, that is you're very closely connected with and attached to and they fill, they meet your needs, it doesn't matter if it's a nanny one-on-one -on -one with a baby or if it's the direct mother. Um, as long as they have somebody they can dependently rely on and they are having their needs met, it does not matter. Um, yeah, they'll end up secure attachment. Yeah. So even in the past when we had, you know, the uh, aristocracy, yeah, the aristocracy having someone else raise their kids, it was still essentially along the lines of the tradition because that option wasn't there. It seems to me that in our arrogance, I would say, um, we think that we can, make everything scientific um, and the problem with that is when you when you set up a, a theory it it will seem to work uh, but the real test is when you implement it right because the theory takes into account a number of assumptions just like um, you know if you, you can have a perfect mathematical formula but if you don't put in the right numbers the answer you get is wrong um, and something analogous to that uh it's a little bit different than the mathematical formula but i think that comes into play when we think okay let's do this research we have some data and we can extrapolate some things from that data and if we assume that that's the whole picture right if we assume there is nothing else to look for then all oh, this should work shouldn't it so let's set up this huge state apparatus with all these resources and let's try to implement this to make it work and what we end up finding is uh, there are variables that are not taken into account such as early childhood and the fact that you know you can't you can't mold children in particular because uh, right now we're focused on like early education right you can't mold children any which way you want um, because they have stages of development they have uh, background experience they even perhaps have particular natural predispositions that do or do not make them, um, you know, better or worse candidates for the way that we set up school, right? Because like if you have uh, the classic example is uh, young boys who are super rambunctious and full of energy, you basically have to exhaust them to the nth degree to get them to sit down for any length of time and be able to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, yeah so so play ends up being very very important and those those kids i see um that are like that that are labeled as like adhc <clears throat> they're kids that they start out very happy and rambunctious but then because of their natural disposition of like being more hyperactive they get they go from happy and rambunctious to depressed and um having a lot of low self-esteem issues because they attribute their lack of ability to pay attention to a lack of um, intelligence. And it's really not. Um, but when you are reprimanded, like every five to 10 minutes, you know, they internalize that negative attention. <clears throat> Those kids should not be in schools, um, I believe, because, you know, then they've tell them they need to take medication but and then they will and that helps them focus but then they're reliant on a medication when again they really should just not be in school they're capable of actually 
way, um, becoming way more intelligent than the other kids because they have um, like that extra energy that if funneled towards something they were interested in, they could become great at it. But because the school system is trying to make, like um, you said before, like just factory workers, like passive um, people that are just going to be okay with sitting there, um, they're going to think, oh, I need to be different. I need to be calm where they're going to um, kind of suffocate like in a way, like their candle of self of being like, okay, I can't be this way. I have to fit in. But in fitting in, they um, give up any potential that they had. Yeah, at the very least, they're going to be disinterested and they're going to fail anyway, yeah. right? Like it's, I need to like pay attention. Oh, I didn't pay attention. I need to pay attention. Oh, I didn't pay attention. And it's, it's nonsense stuff other than just English and like basic math. Like, they're right. It's, like, pointless stuff that they're learning. Um, and it's really just because their parents have a job and they can't afford to pay for them to do anything else, so they put them in the school system. They're not there because it will really, really benefit them. They're there because their parents have nowhere else they can put them while they're at work. Yeah, so functionally, like, um, I haven't mentioned it yet today, but I'm sure I have at some point, and it's well-known school system is set up to produce factory workers it's based on the old well the old prussian model was made to make soldiers and i think even that prussian model was based off an older uh model where you were um breaking people in to eventually go into seminary so you were trying to crush out any resistance they had to being essentially like these perfectly meek celibate like priests basically um, but yeah, the Prussian model was soldiers that got converted over into factory workers. This, when it was implemented even here in the United States and elsewhere, was well known um, because, well, we had industry that we needed to have a bunch of useful factory workers. And now, since we're way past that, it seems to me that most of education is essentially childcare. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's... You mentioned the uselessness of a lot of what is learned. Um, that's something that I can perhaps speak to. I taught university courses, and I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but uh, I had a big chunk of students who were functionally illiterate. What do I mean by that? They could, you know, read words. They could kind of write words, but their spelling was so atrocious that it, it was bizarre because it's like, how are you reading these words? Um, but they could not read sentences. What do I mean by that? So I could write directions. They could not follow those directions because they were spot reading. They were reading certain nouns, certain adjectives, certain verbs. And from those, they were um, essentially contextualizing what the sentence might mean. And then they would understand, understand in, in big air quotes, that. So, you know, you'd ask them to write an essay and sentence after sentence after sentence is like, two totally separate thoughts just smushed together at a random place. Um, there was no understanding of what they were doing with punctuation. You might think, well, that's just some you know particular finicky thing. No, 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 it's not. You know, If you can't figure out where to put a period in a sentence, what that means is you don't know where one thought ends and another thought begins, right? That means you can't se uh, separate subjects and predicates from different sentences which means you don't know what is doing what or what is affecting what, you know, it, it's, it's a total inarticulate mess. So what does that have to do with 
the state of education, well, it suggested to me that children at a very young age, because you can teach children to read at a very young age um, and then thereby teach them to write, they're not actually even being educated uh, in the way that the system is ostensibly in the modern day set up to do. It is literally primarily childcare. That would be my assessment. Um, now, JJ, you have more experience like in the classroom, right? So uh, for those of you guys who don't know, she's in there with the kids trying to teach them to regulate their emotions because things have gotten so bad that the, the kids <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what's you don't mention anything in particular because we don't want you to get in in trouble with legal matters but what is a classroom like now when in terms of kids abilities to and lack thereof control themselves um a lot of impulsivity um lack of ability to um just focus and honestly i think where it's coming from is um, the parents from very young infant stage um, how our system is set up in terms of maternity leave we'll start here and then build up um, you know you're allowed to have up to like two months of maternity leave that is not long enough um, not at all in terms of bonding I think I've kind of said this to myself and I've thought this if you as a parent do not prioritize your children as your main responsibility. Um, nobody will, and you should not expect anybody else to put in nearly as much effort as you're supposed to because nobody's going to love your child like you will. And um, parents now, especially um, mothers now, yes, this is probably because also um, – you know, men aren't doing their part, but I think in terms of mothers, um, they prioritize the status of saying that they are working and that, you know, they're doing what society wants them to do of like, oh, I can be a good mother and work. I'm in the process now of trying to make sure that I can stop working so I can just be with my kids. But I think um, this idea that our society is now pushing that, um, you know, you not only um, not only is it expected for you to be a mom and have a job, but if you don't have a job that you are like lesser and you're not doing what you should be doing. Um, so anyway, so women now will prioritize their career first, push off having children until after their career, which is really bad. And honestly, it doesn't make any sense because then you know, people, women are having a struggle with conceiving later in life in terms of fertility. And then also, once you have this career, now the child becomes the impediment to advancing that career. And then women resentfully look at their children as holding them back when that is actually their main purpose to be good mothers. And then it creates a bad relationship between the child and the mom because they will be like okay I will be pregnant I will be working and then they spend those two months with it with their baby and then they go right back into the labor force and then they spend all their energy their job working for somebody else and then have not a lot of energy to spend towards loving their child and then that ultimately causes 
a lack of trust and attachment and bond to their child, which then spirals into their children not trusting others to meet their needs, not trusting others to love them. And um, then that child operates in a state of not trusting anybody and then also not respecting anybody, any authority figure or anyone. So they don't even listen to nice, polite commands. So now finally getting back to the school system, because they are going from babysitter to um, a babysitter that does not love and really care for them that much, that views them as just a paycheck. Um, And then the parent comes back home to them stressed, lacking energy. They are basically treated like they are an annoyance and then they can sense that. And even if you are nice to those type of children that lack that bond, um, they will not listen to you nicely telling them what to do at all. And they don't respect anybody because they are not respected at home or anywhere they go. So they don't project any authority or they don't respect any authority because authorities don't respect them as people um, that deserve love. There's quite a lot to respond to there. I'll I'll see if I can get through all of it. One thing that occurred to me uh, that I want to jump on is, yeah, when you mentioned maternity leave, and I thought back to earlier in the conversation, we talked about how people prior the age of information, the proliferation of the internet and the accessibility of um, knowledge at the touch of our fingertips or the reach of our fingertips. I wonder if maternity leave actually makes this worse. Here's my thought. If you don't have the option to take those two months off and your option is stay in work or stay home with your child and leave your job, how many more women would choose to stay home with their kids for a longer stretch of time and then as their kids age, then look for some matter of some manner of employment, right? Um, you can even think of this in terms of technology. Like, obviously, um, we have, people end up in situations where something like, I don't know, baby formula is necessary. But if we didn't have it and you had to stay home and breastfeed, um, then you would, in the same situation, like when we only had tradition to go back on, people wouldn't or women in this case, mothers, young mothers, would not prioritize work because it would not be an option. It actually seems to me that the plethora of options that we have that take us away from our uh, biological imperatives and the restraints that nature imposes on us have led us astray from, well, our nature. Um, and you know, no wonder that then we turn to an institution, right? So an institution of culture, an institution of the state, uh, in this case, schools, to try and make up for, let's say, the turning away from our own natures. So that was that was one thought, but um, there, there were a couple other thoughts there. So that was maternity leave. The other one had to do with, um, uh, one had to do with respect and authority, and there was another one that I wanted to cover first, but I'll have to come back around to it because I forget. Uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, the children not having any respect for authority, and you mentioned that these kids are essentially uh, just a paycheck, um, and either they're a paycheck for some random child care provider, 
or they are a nuisance for the parent who is prioritizing working. Um, yeah, absolutely. What we're we're teaching children is, is that authority figures are not respectable people. They're not admirable people. They're not people that this child wants to grow up to be. Um, this is perhaps a stray thought, but when I was really little, and um, particularly in stories and things, but you also see this in life, kids actually admired their their parents and they admired adults and they wanted to grow up. However, as I got older, closer to my teenage years, and I've seen this ever since, that desire to be an adult, to be, uh, you know, for kids to say they want to be a grown up, um, to look as look at adults as desirable ends disappeared at some point. Maybe it's still around and I, you know, me personally, I have not seen it, but actually I suspect it's gone. I don't see it portrayed in the media. I don't see it in, you know, kids that I've interacted with. Um, I didn't see it when I was, like I said, a teenager from that point onward. It seemed to me that everyone thought that adults were these um, liars and uh, like hapless idiots. Um, you know, like the, again, that turning away from tradition is a kind of turning away from our elders and respect for our, our elders. And certainly part of that is because none of the parents really did a decent job. They didn't invest in their children. They invested instead in their career. Um, what I did want to ask about was like down at the classroom level, you know, what particular behaviors are we are we seeing from these kids who don't respect adults? Like, what are they doing in the classroom? So they're asked to um, now they have the expectation of they have these things called centers or station time where they get to um, pick where they want to go. Um you know, they have kitchen, they have locks, they have these different stations. If they don't get what they want, some of them flip out, will run around screaming, flipping over chairs, um, and just, it's like a full-blown tantrum that's like uncontrollable until they run, exhaust their energy. And now, or if they don't, that's one reason, or they are told to... Um, clean up and then maybe they aren't expected to clean up at home and then they freak out and do the same thing then where they go around flipping chairs screaming um and then when they're tried when a um teacher tries to calm them they freak out hit punch and these teachers are left with bruises and the turnover rate of teachers especially in pre-k that i've seen is ridiculous because these kids um, I've actually advocated to my supervisor to have policies of um, basically implementing, expelling kids in pre-K because right now in school systems, you can't expel kids for acting out. But for some reason, it does not apply to pre-K, which is completely optional and it's not even a requirement in general. So these pre-K teachers are essentially getting beat up going to work and then instead of just kicking out the child and being like, hey, telling the parent, you need to do something because as of right now, this child cannot even come to school. They make it an unsafe learning environment for the other children. They are horrible examples the other children are picking up on and they are taking on 
um, some of the same things. Um, they're learning the bad behaviors are acceptable because this child is continually allowed to be there, whereas if they were kicked out and then the teacher said, hey, this person is no longer a student here telling the students um, because of these behaviors, then there would actually be a um, learned thing amongst the other students of, okay, that behavior is not acceptable, so I will never do that. Instead, they're seeing these students who act out get extra attention and coddled, and they're being taught that is, is perfectly acceptable behavior, and it's horrific. Now, that's a lot of that's for the pre-K level. You said uh, the highest that you go is first grade. Um, how bad is it at the first grade level? Is it mostly talking out of turn? Or do we have kids getting up out of their desks, running around? We have tantrums all the way at, you know, first grade. Because pre-K is pretty young. First grade, at that point, they, you know, my experience was you can actually get first graders to, uh, at the very least, you should be able to get them to op cooperate with uh, adults in a classroom setting somewhat is it so how bad is it at the first grade level in your experience um so kindergarten and first grade you don't see these full-blown tantrums as much i think it is also because at the pre-k level um they start um, they understand um and they get these kids on medication that are like this because if they're that extreme in pre-k the parents get to a point where the teachers kind of push them, especially if they have the um, oppositional defiant disorder, which really is just a fancy word for being like this kid is a bad person. <laughs> like they just can't function in society without being medicated. Um, but they typically get them medicated by this point. Now, what I see in terms of um, behaviors that is, is acting out is, um, you know, people talk out of they interrupt very often. I think it's, um, it is what they classify as like ADHD. It's kids that are very just like impulsive. Um, from what I've seen, it's not really anger issues at those higher levels because by that point, the kids are getting that, um, they're at entering that stage of emotional regulation that comes naturally for a lot of kids by that point. Um, they have incorporated, um, like kids that are um, autistic, but who can function in terms of like they have, you know, reading skills and their speech level is really great. But those kids, um, they, they, again, they don't act out. They just talk out of interrupting and it's, you know, but it's not really acting out. It's just them um, interjecting. But roughly speaking, um, how many kids are uh, in, in your estimation, medicated uh, by the time they reach that first grade point. Um, the reason why I'm asking is I'm trying to see how much of the improvement is actually just masked by drugging children. <laughs> That's what Not I Not many, actually. The, the parents, rightfully so, are um, resistant to it. I actually only know of um, one. Now, there may be kids that the parents aren't honest about it or that they don't tell because they just, you know... Um, do medicate, but it's they keep it on the low or whatever. But a lot of parents are resistant to it. But I think even those parents, it, I think they have a choice when their kid is um, that way of either medicating them or them needing to pull the child out of school because they cannot be 
um, taught in school in a like um, 20, 25, 27 um, like class size. They just cannot function well. Um, but I think parents should have a choice or they should at least know that their choices are two choices, either medicate and don't be against medication or they need to take on the responsibility to find an option that is better for their kid that is not formal schooling, whether that be homeschooling or I know a lot of these parents don't have this ability, but private schooling where they have smaller classes and more attention per child because these kids not picking either option and doing what a lot of the parents are doing, which is being like, no, I'm not going to medicate my child. I'm also not going to acknowledge anything they're experiencing is an issue and just leaving them with no help and expecting them to just eventually conform is, again, it's going to cause, and it is causing these children anxiety, depression, negative um, self-images and negative um, recurring phrases they say aloud um, about just super low self-esteem and it's not the child's fault. It's their parents' fault. Mm, so are you suggesting there that the misbehavior earlier on, uh, if it's not drug, which a ton, it doesn't seem like a ton of it's, you know, kids being drugged, is going from external tantrums to internal deteriorate, deteriorating mental health? Yes, um, yes, it is that for right. sure. And that's a large part of those interjections you, you mentioned earlier then. Yes. Okay, so what we're seeing there is when a child is very young, they act out um, the lack of parental uh, culturation. Um, the kids who are there who otherwise would be okay get, uh, let's say, uh, socialized laterally instead of vertically, which means instead of improving, they learn primarily from their peers at an age when that's not uh, proper, right? When in nature, a child would be surrounded by mostly um, adults who are teaching them how to be a functional, civilized human being. Instead, they learn, okay, here are these other barbarians in a class of 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 other barbarians. Um, I learned these misbehaviors. I um, essentially tantrum. I, you know, become, when I used to work, I, I kind of don't like the word narcissistic, but they do not develop a theory of mind, including other people very well. Uh, and so they're in that sense, kind of uh, almost psychopathic, right? Because they're not even, you know, a sociopath might not care that they're hurting you, but they know that you are you, right? There's a level of sophistication there that someone develops into. But when someone is doing it purely unconsciously, it's closer to someone who just does not understand that other people have feelings. Yeah, like, <clears throat> see, I do small groups with um, these pre-K kids, specifically that um, act out and will, like I said, punch, like, um, punch hit, like, teachers when they're trying to help them calm down and after they're, like, going around flipping chairs, yelling, everything. Um, and what's weird, what I thought was weird at first was I was like, okay, I'm going to politely educate them correct ways to be because maybe it's a lack of understanding or ever even knowing right from wrong. And then what struck striked me as weird was they know exactly what is right and what is wrong they just choose to act out wrongly whether that's from a lack of ability through impulsivity which actually um getting to know some of these kids backgrounds that are super like that there was a kid last year that that, that was this way and then again this year 
um, specifically the ones that act out in anger and impulsivity and know what is morally correct, but choose to do what is um, wrong, they typically come from addict mothers, um, and it is genetic, which is sad because it's like, you know, they literally did not have control over that. And, but when that does happen, I think for those specific individuals, I don't think even homeschooling for them, like they don't have ADHD, they have something else, um, that is genetic. By genetic, do you mean like heritable, like they were uh, uh, prenatal, like in the womb to an addict mother, suffered some type of withdrawal in infancy that then, you know, caused damage to their uh, brain development, yes. to their impulse? Okay. Yeah. Like those people specifically, um, I'm typically not like, I don't advocate a lot for the medicating of children because I think for at least the ADHD children, they are perfectly intellectually capable, but they just are not in the correct environment. Because when I have small groups with ADHD kids, they can actually focus and they're very intelligent, more intelligent actually than some of the kids that are focused. But the kids that have that oppositional defiant um, disorder that act out angrily, they, you know, they need medication if they're going to be a functional member of society and have any possibility of having a good life at all. Or any good relationships. Do you think that if, because um, this this population of kids, it reminds me of something. Um, Jordan Peterson, he did a number of interviews and talked to different people who were specialists in this about. He said, essentially, if uh, there's like something like thirty percent of kids, and in that thirty percent, they're going to have a proclivity that leads them to uh, to bite, to hit. Um, to basically be aggressive and violent and you can socialize them uh, usually between the ages of two and four to be civilized human beings like maybe it's, it takes some effort but you can you can train them to to do to do that um, now given that these kids perhaps have damage from uh, you know something equivalent of like fetal alcohol syndrome or uh, whatever the equivalents are with harder drugs I imagine heroin use is a thing in this particular area you know it do you think that if they had better uh, experiences, right, despite the damage, so the damage obviously is there, but if they had been um, socialized properly between the ages of two and four, before they end up in a classroom with you, yes. that they could be functional without needing further medication? Or do you think that, do you suspect that the damage done is too much or can you not tell? Because it's hard to tell from afterwards. Well, it's, Hard to tell. I, I imagine that they, um, exactly what you said, like if they were intervened between that age, they would, they would be capable maybe of not having medication. But in these two specific, um, or I have three specific examples in my mind. So two of the kids that um, acted out in anger, they came from like mothers who were addicts and then they were adopted by, by people who were not but that severing of the connection with the parent um, added with, um, you know, ha having that, uh, that addictness like in the womb and, you know, after or whatever. Like, I think it's um, even if the adopted parent was better, you know, in a lot of ways, that severing of the connection with um, their parent that they were connected with that 
that parent was struggling and had issues combined with the impulsivity coming from the genetic changes and then going to an adoptive parent that although they have good intentions, that parent is going to view that child. They they enter into an adoptive situation because they want to be good people, but then they get these, um, you know, babies that have issues and then inevitably they treat them like how we're talking about parents that um, even with their own children kind of give them away to being watched by other people from a young age. They view the child resentfully and they don't want to give the child up because that would be, you know, it'd be horrible for the baby to go from one person to the next but then they treat that child badly because it's not their child. And then the issues that they develop, they view as not their issues. And then they treat this child badly. And I think that's during that window of two to four when possibly the child could have been reformed. They've been treating like, they've been being treated like they are an added stressor because they are unfortunately to the adoptive parents that the adoptive parents have a problem they're part of the problem Mm, so it's not that it couldn't happen it's that it's unlikely to happen that they get the proper uh, socialization they need at that time due to the circumstances and I'm, i'm sitting here thinking how this all fits together so this reminds me of Brave New World, right? So in uh, the novel, um, I think Aldous is how you pronounce his first name. I think Aldous Huxley. Um, he has these, uh, I think they're the Deltas, maybe. They're the lower rank uh, people, and they're essentially made to be like factory workers, but they're all given Soma. Now, Soma is like a perfectly engineered drug with no downsides that numbs people to their pain. And it lets them just accept their menial existence um, and these people are uh, essentially genetically crafted to not really want anything more than that and i'm looking at the way that because again this that sounds like weed to me <laughs> a, a bit yeah right there's you know i'm sure there's some listeners out there who are responsible smokers um so i apologize if, if... i'm not saying that in a bad <laughs> way i i have smoked weed at times in my life and i did like that it did call me and being okay with my situation but i do think it does impede people from bettering their situation though if you are not already doing that while engaging responsibly yeah uh we'll we'll take the joe rogan position where probably like you know does not advocate for youth if you're an adult you know it's like drink responsibly um but what i'm looking at this and the whole system seems to me set up to produce the kind of delta Brave New World factory workers. Here's why. So you have kids who are damaged. You have kids who are not socialized. You've got parents who are essentially encouraged to get their kids into some type of institution rather than parenting them. Um, And that is affecting kids who might otherwise be well socialized through this kind of lateral deterioration, right? They're learning bad things from their peers. Um, we have at the very young age, these, uh, let's say in, the, in terms of pre-K, perhaps even kindergarten, you've got total outbursts being present. And what ends up happening is that those cause mental deterioration as they get older. So essentially you have these kids now internalizing by the time they are 
more in the school system. So it looks like the problem disappears, but either the problem is being drugged away, um, which if, you know, you know, to solve your, uh, let's say, behavioral problems, if you know to solve your biological issues, your proclivities with drugs, well, what does that like? What road does that lead you down? That's a question. And if you have all these mental issues that are essentially unresolved, um, that are, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to be handled. Like I can teach you how to handle your emotions in a classroom setting so that you don't burst out and throw a tantrum in the classroom. But that doesn't mean that someone's not going to develop like uh, depressive disorder when they become an adult, right? It starts, it like, um, it stops the storm outside of them. It stops them from creating that outside, but then it's like still inside. So I think it could lead, well, it does lead from even from the young age. There was like a girl last year that um, she was like self-harming in ways. And it's, I think, um, well, we already know what it leads to, leads to suicide, leads to shootings. It leads to um, people having either becoming bullies to people that, you know, they don't have relationships to or um, them actually becoming bad to people who they are in relationships with and taking it out on them, believing that, you know, everybody else is the issue, but them. And I think um, I'm seeing also, I was struck by this, like they're teaching way earlier, like in pre-K, these concepts that I remember learning in first grade and second grade, like um, alphabet and all this stuff. And they are, really trying to go really fast with learning stuff like this whereas I know in like Japan and places they don't even think about trying to train the children in any way um educationally it's more about letting them or you know getting them accustomed to listening to authority and just getting along with each other but now instead we have the opposite in America where they're trying to push the educational aspects so early and especially you see this with kids that are struggling at home with these like really dark situations at home where they're like, they cannot leave and not even adults can do this. They can't leave their home issues at home. So they're bringing them into school. These kids, a lot of them, they need therapy. Like they don't need to be in school. They need to talk through these issues because instead of their parents, like um, pretending they're not there and then just trying to do everything they can to give them, Good experiences, like the kids, they know something's wrong, but the parents aren't talking to them in a way that um, is acknowledging the pain that they've gone through. So the kids can't move on. Like you can't, if you can't take away the trauma they've been through, you kind of have to accept that the child has to, um, they're forced to grow up faster than other kids, but it's better to have those deep talks to those kids rather than to pretend the issues aren't there and then have the child internalize it as something wrong with them instead of something wrong that happened to them, you know? Yeah. Essentially they, um, what the kids need to be learning at that very young age is how to process and regulate their own emotions in a way that both works within them and without them. And instead of doing that, uh, what we've done is thrown the kids um, essentially to an institution that is trying to educate them, whereas it would be better to socialize them because they, you can't successfully educate a kid who fails at 
being properly socialized. And even if you might succeed, the mental health issues down the road cause greater problems. Now, um, a thought occurred to me that there's a component that's we we haven't talked about yet. So we've talked about moms, how moms are essentially abandoning being moms so that they can uh, go to work, um, how this is part of the reason why these kids are not being socialized. What else, what other figure have we not mentioned that is perhaps missing both at home often and also definitely 100% missing in almost every classroom? Um, the dads are, even if, um, the child does have a two parent household, it's weird because dads have kept the mentality of like, they need to have a job, but the job that they are having, um, they're like, okay, as long as I have a job, they are, they feel they're fulfilling their duties as a parent. But even though now both mom and dad typically have a job, the mom will be doing a job and then also doing the job of raising the children at home keeping that traditional role when they're at home but the dads are now opting out of it. even though things are split down the middle now dads are um kind of trying to keep that state that they're younger engaging in in terms of like um this is personal <laughs> for me but like men having jobs and then coming home and then playing video games or doing everything but being the parent role because they are in a state of wanting to deny that, you know, the accepting of new responsibilities. Um, whereas moms still have that feeling that it is their responsibility, but now they have the added stressor of a job too. So society is expecting them to have a job. The dad is expecting them to be a mom. And then, um, so they're juggling both. And then I would even put this on grandparents too because of how nowadays people are um, obese and older people have deteriorating health that they are um, band-aiding with medications. The grandparents are unfit and incapable of doing their part that they used to do, which was helping out more with grandchildren to where, um, so the parents aren't getting enough breaks, moms aren't getting breaks, grandparents aren't doing their job, dad's not doing their job, mom's taking on too much responsibilities, um, and then the children are just, <laughs> they're just in it, and they are, like, just hating life, basically, because they're, like, you know, they feel, re they feel resented everywhere they go, you know, um, yeah, so at, at, that's at the home level, right? So we've got the uh, guys trying to live like bachelors, even once they have, um, you know, have a family. Once they, even after they have kids, it's um, the sacrifices that you have to make to be involved in your child's life and the responsibilities that you need to take in order to essentially be their primary educator. This is the way that I view it, and you can tell me if, if this fits in. What should happen is um, there should be some form of negotiate. I'm, I'm very, let's say, classically liberal, actually, in my sentiments, because that's how I grew up, right? A kid born in the early 90s. Um, but, you know, it should be a negotiated set of roles. So you've got a mom and your dad, and you figure out, okay, how are we going to split these things so that we're each happy? And part of it is that the 
the guys don't want to grow up because they don't want to take on the roles of dad because that requires the sacrifice of being the delayed adolescent, most fundamentally, right? Because you can be a teenage guy and you can have a job and you can come home and you can play video games all night and sleep in all day and then rinse, repeat that your whole like, you know, youth and that you can get by doing that by yourself. But what we're saying is like, once you have a family, um, not only do you have your, your job, but you, you need to take the time out to, and this is my argument, uh, because I think part of the negotiated role inevitably is going to be that, you know, your dad, the dad teaches you certain things, not everything, but is, is your early life primary educator, I think, specifically insofar as how one learns to interact with other people and why do i think that well i think that because your you know your dad typically will enforce boundaries much more consistently um and more often than most moms typically will um i think that's because dads don't have as deep a biological connection like you know your dad you don't carry a child in you your entire neurology doesn't uh gear to making sure this infant is has its like needs met every like every second that it needs them because when you're an infant and you're like not even six months old, like you're basically should still be inside the mother, but we have a weird evolutionary history that led to that not happening. And so what I'm seeing here is like without the dad there fulfilling that role, the kid isn't being socialized well. Um, the kid not being socialized well is going to add to the stress of the mother also working and then also having to do the the home roles and also doing the dad's job, which she's not, let's say, geared to do. Like it's just, it's not proper biologically speaking. And I think it creates a bad dynamic of um, especially men when they have mothers that take on the punisher role and the loving role, it creates a anger towards women in general, which is, um, you know, they will eventually take out on their spouses or girlfriends later because they have this conflict of, um, I think we're supposed to view women as, you know, lovers, caretakers, like um, soft beings. But then when you have a mother who had to be forced into this punisher role also, um, which they're not supposed to be, it just creates an anger towards women in general. Yeah, because that's how abusive people are, right? Like if you there's a classic abuser, they will flip between being uh, like kind of love bombing you and then switch to the abuse and then kind of use and then comfort you after, which it's the abusive cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So forcing, we could almost say forcing women to occupy um, contradictory roles on top of other roles that uh, also inhibit the, the the nurturing role. So there you have the nurturing role that's being inhibited. Um, and then you have the, let's say, we'll call the disciplinarian, right? The one who maintains discipline amongst children. That's socialization. Uh, that's necessary for them to learn because we're going to wrap this back around into education. I guess this is more like early childhood, right? But um, yeah, taking on, being forced into, force is perhaps a strong word, but tricked gold by society into occupying contradictory roles. And so they end up functioning uh, like someone who was trying to abuse you, psychologically speaking, um, which is actually really dark because then it sets us up for... Um, 
the educational system where now we also don't have male figures in that almost anywhere. Um, yeah, it's it's not at all present. And now that we're talking about this with the women occupying both the loving caretaking and it being polluted by them needing to become disciplinarians because the dads aren't doing it. Well, because men are not teachers and women are all the teachers, they are trying to do both, which again is creating that resentment towards women because the women teachers are, you know, I will see them giving hugs to students and then seeing them, you know, um, reprimand students and it's polluting again that like feminine energy i think um it's so it's making you know men just hate women because they have all these negative experiences like compiling of their mom disciplining them and then all these like bitter resentful angry older unfit women reprimanding them and they just it turns into just like hating women and then not treating women well because they have all these negative experiences with women when it used to be, you know, your mother would be loving, your grandparent, grandmother would be loving, and, you know, you you just saw women as loving. I don't think there was probably a whole lot of anger towards women, whereas now it's, I think it's like the opposite. And then also, well, women are getting entitled now too, so in like other ways, but I think at least in terms of Um, why relationships aren't working out and how men are becoming less and less capable of um, tying women down. It's because they don't have good relationships with women in their lives. It's like a cycle, right? It's a feedback loop. So um, insofar as you have experiences that are uh let's say contradictory with women you get more guys who are less able to make successful relationships with women so they're going to stick with the late adolescence they're going to be eternal bachelors peter pans uh insofar as they're peter pans guess what they're not doing if they end up having kids they're not being good dads to their kids because they're off being Peter Pan's uh, not fulfilling that role. So what happens to those kids? Well, they have moms who have to fulfill both roles. They go into the school where it's all women fulfilling both of those contradictory roles, right? Which then produces more, which then produces more. And it's just men hating women, women hating men. Women are hating men for forcing them into the roles. Men are hating women because, you know, they got that conflicting role with their own mother. Um, so yeah so it's, it's it's kind of a destruction of not kind of it is a destruction of the family unit um spiraling downward very rapidly and in terms of education uh now we mentioned that we resort to drugging sometimes uh for, for these kids but we are definitely seeing that they are let's say because they are not socialized they don't have a dad in the home at that young age and they don't have that masculine figure to keep order um, that even even if you can make them. So, oh, that's super interesting, because what that reveals is we don't have men involved in the education of children. It's only women. Even if you can get them to be disciplined, which we are having a hard time doing, they still have outbursts. They're, they're still having kind of neurotic breaks, um, even if you can do it, it's going to have negative effects down the road because you're you're taking that uh feminine image and 
you are forcing it into kind of the archetype of the witch, right? One of the archetypes of the witch, which is this kind of bitter, um, you know, hateful, you know, old woman. And that's a lot of them. That's a lot of teachers. Yeah. When, when in reality, you know, we talked off, off uh, microphone, I guess, because we're not on camera. We talked off microphone about this, just the matter of one's voice making a difference, right? So um, even the difference between men and women's voices, the depth um, that men's voices have, even just that oftentimes is sufficient to, without yelling, I'm not talking about yelling, just the, just the resonance of the voice helps to keep children in line um, in a way that Otherwise, a woman might be have to resort to something more extreme than general passive aggressiveness. Yeah, yeah. Like I hear, so there's a one teacher in particular. She will bring attention to a child's like bad behavior in a passive aggressive. Well, all the children's behavior in a passive aggressive way of being. I don't even know how to describe. Well, so wait, wait, wait. This is like a Twitter mob. Because look, this is what this is, right? So you've got a class, I, uh, this is great. There's a class of children. And essentially, because you, you perhaps are bitter and you don't really have the means to control them, so you enter into this passive-aggressive mode. And what you do is you make some nasty comment that is made to make all the other kids hate that kid. Yeah. Right? It's, but that's like that's like the Twitter age, right? Where I'm going to call this person a bad word so that everyone knows that you're a bad person and hates you. I'm going to lever society against you uh, using essentially uh, shame tactics and deception. Yeah, they are, they are shame tactics because like um, the kids that do speak out and they do have attention deficit like issues, um, these teachers will paint on them with bad intention as if it their lack of ability to control their interruptions is a lack of respect whereas um well it's not but also it's kind of like well if you're being passive aggressively dug at all the time by this teacher and you're also somebody who's not just going to lay down and take it yes you're going to chime in often just because you know you don't have any respect for somebody who doesn't have respect for you um so they're learning learning disrespect right yes yeah because they're being disrespected so that they yeah they're gonna give it right back and then all the other children who um are listening to this are kind of just in fear of being like well i don't want to be the target so i'll be quiet but it's teaching people to become sheeple and just watching instead of actually this is a big thing i don't see anymore at least at the level that i'm teaching i don't see any bullies practically um the teachers have become bullies Ooh, that's to worse. keep them all in line yeah that and that to me that sounds worse because yeah. like if another kid is a bully the potential is that maybe justice comes down from the top or some kid There's stands no up justice comes when it's the teacher yeah it's it's just tyranny from the top down and that's what you get used to right yeah. um which of course makes people primed to deal with it when they're adults. And I see this especially um, now, obviously not all teachers. There are some teachers who lead with like respect and calmness. Um, but for the teachers that are like this, especially more in the more low income schools, um, they are master charlatans in terms of putting on great shows about making sure the kids are doing crafts and even like 
doing a lot of the craft themselves just so they have something good to show at home and show the school they're doing. But when it comes to interacting with the children, you know, they will often speak up, yell, all these like things, but they are just really good at putting on a show as if they are not being bullies when I believe that they are. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is a treasure. It runs deep. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, um, you know, cause the, the beginning of this was like, what is the state of education? And so what we have is we had, a, we had a system that was made to make soldiers, then a system that was made to make factory workers. At the beginning, I suggested it was essentially a daycare situation, but actually what it seems to me is another apparatus, except instead of factory workers, it, it seems like it is a system designed to produce dependent, right? Because they are dependent on the institution, these kids. They are not functional independent units, um, but they're dependent. They overly baby them, but also mistreat them. Yeah, so they're, they're backbiting, pernicious, narcissistic, dependent units. So this is sort of like Rousseau's savage. And I actually had this thought in my head since the beginning of this being a kind of... Um, Rousseauian versus Hobbesian dynamic. So for those of you guys who don't know, um, Rousseau essentially said, okay, uh, human beings are born perfectly good and it's society that makes them bad. Hobbes thought just the opposite, that the nature of humanity was brutish and that society uh, enculturates us and civilizes us and makes us capable of living together in a society. Now, what the, the school system has set up or the way it's set up, I should say, is that parents are not parenting their kids. So what that means is by the time they get into the system, which is around the age, I think, I think we're pretty what, four years old, right? Yeah, three to four. Three to four. So by the time they're in the institution, which is actually way earlier than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you started, like they had preschool at five at the earliest. Yeah, well, it's like three, three is the earliest age, but yeah, four or yeah. five is more what? normal, but you know, at that young age, a couple years is a long time, right? Yeah, you is. go from being two to four, you're way different. Yeah. So, so we've got these kids, they're, they're going in at, at an early age, they have had some socialization stripped away from them. So again, this is kind of a Rousseauian ideal, right? Like get, if we could just get them um, away from socialization, they should retain their innocence and goodness. Of course, what we see is that actually, if you don't socialize your kid, if the dad isn't present, um, you know, enforcing boundaries, if the mom isn't present because she's resentful and doing too much, um, then the kid comes in in a Hobbesian state of nature, right? Um, and it starts throwing tantrums, is running around, it has zero impulse control. These are COVID kids we're dealing with. This is this is why they're so bad. Like even the teachers that I'm talking with, um, they're being like a couple years ago, this wasn't a thing. It's from the kids lacking socialization early and their parents either being fear mongers about, you know, being fearing death itself or um, just staying inside and then them latching onto screens and not developing a personality, just, you know. Oh, so what we're seeing here because I, I was curious, because when you brought COVID just now, I was like, oh, how does that interplay? So let me see if I understand you correctly. So we had COVID hit people, we're all stuck inside. And we had, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, you might think, because some of us thought this, and for a couple of weeks, it seemed like it might be the case at the beginning of COVID, and we didn't know. 
how severe or unsevere it was going to be, that people would come together, that people would actually start becoming closer because we had this, you know, it was two weeks to flatten the curve type of deal, right? Um, that, okay, well, why don't we take this time to be more communal? But the thing is, you had the same ineffectual parents and overloaded parents that you had before. It was just the situation changed, not the people. And so, of course, when people are stuck inside for long stretches of time, do they suddenly become good parents? No. You just mentioned- They get more stressed. Yeah. They're stressed out and they just stick their kids in front of screens, right? Yeah. Yeah. They just, yeah. Yeah. So it's actually, in a case, worse. Mm -hmm. It's worse because where these kids might be going to at least interact and see other people, even if it's suboptimal, even if it's bad, when they have none of that, zero, it's all screens, all TikTok, all YouTube shorts, because- Kids are uh, basically addicted to short-form content or, uh, I don't know, just watching Let's Plays all day. It doesn't matter, really. They're, they're interacting with uh, a flat piece of plastic. They're not developing themselves at all. Yeah. So you have these kids coming in. So these are even more so Rousseau Savage than, than I originally thought. And, and they, they come in. There's no masculine figure. So there's no discipline really maintained. There's only... Uh, passive aggression, which is hidden. And so we fail to socialize them at that level as well. And what we end up with, so for those of you who don't know, Rousseau's goal was to have someone who was essentially atomized. So they were they were dependent on no individual because all were collectively dependent on the state and the state would provide all needs. And so therefore it was it was as if you were free because you were dependent on no other people. But being dependent on no other people is the same as saying that you have no relationships with yeah. any other people, right? And those relationships, like the relationship you have with your dad and your mom are what socialize you. That's what Hobbes would say brings you to be a civilized human being is how is it that you are made to relate to other people? Um, and really, it seems to me that we had... Uh, soldiers, we had factory workers. Now we have. Uh, They're all selfish. Yes, sheeple, selfish sheeple, right? Yeah. The, the Rousseau's atomized savage. It really seems to me that who who is so dependent on, you mentioned essentially some some very variant of distraction or drugging, which may very well end up from distraction to you know drugs. We see that a lot here. In West Virginia, um, heroin's a huge, opiates in general are a huge problem. Um, but anything, right? It, it could be, we complain often off um, the microphone about the addiction to, like, let's say sugar, for instance, and just mashing sweet tasting things down one's face. We should do a whole different podcast yeah. in that. But I should, I should correct. Not all of them are selfish, but the ones that are, um, more selfless and um, actually interact with the other kids and are interested in the other's way, they are very rare. And um, there's probably maybe like maximum like two per class of like 15 that are actually socialized well and aren't selfish. But again, like that's, that's a large, that's a large chunk that are not that way and that are selfish. Like I think that goes all the way up to the university level too, because I could say the same thing about, this has to do with performance, but I think there's a correlation here and it very well may have some causal link down the chain. When I had a you know, class of 20, 22 adult students, 
it was maybe two to three people who were writing at something close to the level that they ought to be at that age. Um, and it was at most a quarter of the class who could really write it all. Um, and what that suggests to me is that you have this tiny proportion of people, my guess, is that are correctly socialized. And those people go on to develop the skills of being able to articulate themselves to be able to, I think, have the fundamental building blocks to be independent beings in the world. Like these are going to be people who um, have successful families, successful jobs, perhaps they, uh, if they're big thing is career. These people are going to end up being, if not entrepreneurs, part of something significant. They're not going to be what we would refer to now as like a wage slave, just grinding by day after day, hating their lives, hating their families, their children, being stressed out, right? These are going to be the people who are going to be able to be home or at least have their mom home with their kids because they're going to, they're going to figure it out. And the reason they're going to be able to figure it out is because they know how to control their own emotional states so they know how to regulate themselves and what to give themselves to meet their own needs and they can also do that with other people and this this makes sense on a macro perspective those people are able to coexist um and it makes sense to why right now in terms of politics it used to be from what i've heard people wouldn't get so heated and angry because they could listen they could um, socialize with other people and not get angry um, because people thought less selfishly when they were socially interacting more often with, you know, everybody. But now it makes sense to why politically everybody is so angry and they just cannot get along and communicate because this is how people are now from the youngest age of schooling. They are selfish. They can only view things through their tiny perspective. They cannot listen. Um, they barely understand their own position so that then when they listen to other people, they cannot even understand others because they can't understand themselves. And they're actually not even interested in understanding anybody else. Um, yeah. They're not interested in understanding themselves either. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I would say that in the past, people definitely still got as heated. Um, there's a, a couple of things like in American history, there were a few duels fought over politics where the politicians just went out and shot each other. Yeah. Um, also in Britain, the way that they're uh, the distance of the, the two different benches is uh, two sword lengths apart so that if they had swords, they couldn't cut each other. That's, <laughs> that's the reason for that. Right. Um, and so, you know, perhaps people always get angry, but the perception bit, I think that that is 1000% correct. Um, absolutely. People, they don't perceive the world in the same way. It's like someone who does not have a theory of mind. They cannot understand how other people think and feel. And to be honest, I think you gain that ability through understanding yourself, right? If I understand the different array of things that cause me pain and what I like and dislike, then I could say, okay, I understand if I would experience this, this is how I would end up feeling. And that's a prerequisite to understanding, okay, I know what it's like to lose and feel bad. When someone else loses, they probably feel bad like I feel. You need that building block. You need to understand what brings you to certain emotional states to understand that different things could also bring other people to different emotional states. And in the curiosity, which I think is um, intelligence-based and socialization brings it on, but actually caring to ask other people 
um, about their dispositions, um, which people are now selfish. They don't care. Genuinely, they do not care. They do not want to even ask how other people um, feel about certain things. And even if they were told, they basically are so resistant. They don't they don't even care to listen. I, I really think they don't care to ask. They don't care to listen. And even when they are told, they can only hear their own um, dispositions. I don't. Yeah, it, it's what it seems to me is that we we took out tradition by its knees, right? We took that out, and then we thought, okay, we can replace this with a some type of uh, progressive institution essentially by progressive i mean moving away from tradition towards some in this case enlightened end right so oh we know what we're doing we're going to do this perhaps scientifically but what we didn't realize is that when we took the tradition away and when we gave all these other opportunities and options um and we what we did is we disincentivized people and continue to disincentivize people and then also to condition them. So disincentivize them away from healthy behavioral patterns and have conditioned them to actually adopt, say, antisocial behaviors, antisocial modes of being, emotional dysregulation. And then now what we're doing is we're trying to go back and like band-aid the problem. But the, the issue is the machine itself, right? The thing that is not ostensibly it's supposed to be an educational system i would actually argue it's doing a terrible job people are not getting um more in, intelligent oh intelligence is the wrong word they're not learning more useful skills they are in a large sense learning many fewer uh, so it's not doing that it seems to me to be an enculturation machine and it seems to actually be giving us a pathological culture of Rousseauian atomized hyper individualism, which is divorced from family most fundamentally. You know, creatures. Yeah. Like humans cannot deny it. I think also on, um, you know, TikTok and all these different media platforms, people are focusing on being like, you know, too much on independence, especially for women too. Like, I listen and have listened to in the past a lot of like female music and it's like, you know, you don't need a man, you can do it all on yourself, you know, and which is bad because then, um, you know, they want a man to fulfill that like parent male role. But then again, it's the whole, it's like, yeah, but the men doesn't, the man doesn't feel needed. So then he's like, well, you know. Yeah, why why should I, right? Like yeah. if I if I'm if I don't fulfill any special role, if I'm not necessary, if I'm merely an appendage, uh, an accessory, then you know, the feminists were complaining about that forever. Well, women are just accessories. It's like, um, okay, that's not good if it's the case. By the way, it's not the case because like if you have children, you're not an accessory. You're yeah. a necessary pillar to keep the, the house up. Yeah, that's the thing though. And it it's funny because um, what I think is also feeding into and causing men to continue the, like, oh, I'll have a job, um, but not like a super successful job that makes me a good amount of money. But also I'm going to play video games and like kind of shit away time in a lot of ways because they're like, well, yeah, because my woman's, my woman has like a job also. So I don't need to make a lot of money. I need to just skate by and then have fun. And then 
the woman thinks it's okay until they get pregnant and until they're like, damn, I got with this guy who is okay with me doing this work, but now I cannot do this work if I want to be a good mom. But that's, it's like after the fact, they already chose a guy, you know, that was okay with that lack of effort. And then I think this is what's leading to separations after children come because then they only start thinking with their head on their shoulders once it happens. And I'm I'm talking about myself too, but from direct experience, but um, yeah. Yeah, in grad school, um, I think this is a great place to, to wrap this up. Um, in grad school, there was uh, one of the, my fellow students and it was a workshop we did. And I can't remember what the prompt was, but she did this massive projection where she wrote about, I think it was a poem we had to write. It was a poetry workshop because um, it was all combined in the creative writing sphere of poetry, not creative nonfiction fiction. And there was, I can't remember how she wrote it, but there was an experience where she was describing herself sitting on the couch and her boyfriend was on the couch. They're both just sitting there, not paying any attention to each other, smoking weed. He was playing video games and she was like staring off into the distance, like bemoaning existence. And it's like, that's exactly what people are going through. And you get into that, then you have kids, then you have kids. And then all of a sudden, well, you expect your partner to suddenly change. But that's, um, I think that that is a, that's the mistake being made. We are thinking that we can occupy the, the state of delayed adolescence. We're not taking responsibility, most fundamentally, with the idea that the biggest responsibility that you have is to your children to pass down something to them to keep the world going rather than uh, being an Epicurean, right? Just uh, relishing in the pleasures of the moment. And I think that we have facilitated that in large part through our institutions. Um, and I think that, let's say schools at this point, what is the function? What is the telos? of our education system. And I think it is to produce and reproduce more of that, right? It's like the production of Peter Pan's and, um, you know, dis disillusioned uh, women who are bitter. So it's like we're producing overgrown man children and bitter evil witches and, and. Or like selfish women, you know, that like they try to get their attention through internet, which that's what we're seeing. Yeah, OnlyFans, right? Well, OnlyFans, well, even just TikTok. Well, I see a lot of like um, women on YouTube and TikTok that will be doing all these like mothering things to their boyfriends. And I'm like, they would be great moms, but they are afraid of becoming, taking on that responsibility. Um but then they are mothering their boyfriends with which the moment that they do, if they do have children, that man is going to then resent the child because they're going to be giving, they've been giving mom energy to their spouses, to their boyfriends. And then it causes a bad relationship between the father and the child because they're like, hey, she was my mom, you know? Yeah. Cool. Yep. That's a whole nother thing though. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this conversation uh, on the state of education as a machination 
uh, to destroy the family. There we go. That's a good. Uh, that's a good ending, right? So before you go, uh, I'd like to send you all again, once again, to wildislet.com. Again, check out my fiction posted there, both stories, excerpts, and my novel, One Smoke Broken. First chapter available free. Whole book on audio available for free as well. I'd really appreciate it if you checked it out. Uh, I've got essays as well, blog posts, particularly covering a range of Eastern philosophy. Uh, I've been wading through all the classics. I almost got through them all. Uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do after that. That's not true. I do know what I'm going to do. But you'll find out about that again if you go over to wildislelit.com. And lastly, while you're there, check out the Wild Isle Style Guide. You can hire me to help you uh, write your S or essay, write your manuscript in style if you are a, uh, an author of any form of fiction or if you're writing a memoir that'll work too. Um, I can help you really embed, uh, let's say, music into your prose. Compose your prose with music, as I like to say. That's enough of me trying to be clever. We'll see you guys next time.